We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. I'm doing double duty today, preaching and leading the meeting because uh, Matt is downstairs in kids' ministry and the Whitakers and the Iths are taking some vacation. Um, you guys saw the announcement for the Leadership Summit. Um, if you go on your smartphones or when you get back home to anthemforall.org slash leadership-summit, anthemforall.org slash leadership-summit, you'll find information of every single person here. Be part of Anthem Church, interested in, in joining and, and being part of this particular community. I want to strongly urge and strongly encourage every single one of you to come along. We've got less than 24 hours together from a Friday uh, evening to a Saturday afternoon, jam-packed with amazing guest speakers, some really interesting and uh, thought-provoking workshops, opportunities for ministry and worship. And at that Leadership Summit, we're going to be launching what is called Anthem Anatomy, which is Anthem Church's new take on small groups. And we are literally going to kind of, uh, we've, we've been unpacking and, and reinventing small groups here at Anthem Church over the last few, few months, and we're going to be presenting that at the Leadership Summit. And then, as mentioned, Mark Job from New Life is going to be ministering here on Sunday morning. The cost for this, for this all, including meals, is $10 per person, $10 a person. And if you have children, there's an amazing children's program planned. Uh, the cost for that is $10 per child, capped at a max of $20 per family. So if you are a family that has four or more kids, the, the, the most you will pay for that entire weekend is $40. Can't beat that deal. Absolutely worth coming along. So check out anthemforall.org slash leadership-summit. Uh, you can do so. And next weekend, we're going to do a book draw. So if you have registered this week, uh, you are automatically entered into a book draw. We're going to do a book draw and a prize a, a, a giveaway next Sunday. So come along for that. Quickly, before we jump into the Word, the second thing I wanted to make you aware of is our prayer meeting this Wednesday night. Uh, this Wednesday at 6.30, we're going to be praying at our new building, 3850 West Montrose. Uh, prayer is a vital, uh, essentially important meeting that, that, that we have once a month, where we gather as a church to cry to the Lord, to worship in His presence, and to see what God would say. So please join us at 3850 West Montrose, uh, 6.30 this coming Wednesday. Sound good? There was a nodding, a nodding of a yes as opposed to... Right. Let's turn in our Bibles, if we can, to Psalm 139. We got back on uh, Wednesday. I've been waking up at 2 and 3.30 in the morning and falling asleep at 6 o'clock at night. So uh, my mind is a little all over the place. So I'm trusting for God to do amazing things today, as I, as I trust for every single Sunday. But uh, I really feel like God is uh, wanting to speak to us today. Uh, this is the last Sunday of our series, Testify, where we've, been, where we've been exploring the character and the nature, the attributes of God. And uh, Psalm 139, uh, verse 14 says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I think every one of us, or probably most of us in this room, would agree that in our current culture, most of us have this overwhelming sense of just not doing enough. And I think what we tend to do as Jesus followers is we turn to verses like Psalm 139 verse 14 as an antidote 
to the sense of, or this overwhelming sense of just not being able to do enough. And we hope that the truth that is contained in verses like this will, will do things like sustain us when we don't feel smart enough, will encourage us when we don't feel valuable enough, and will comfort us when we don't feel capable enough. If you look at Psalm 139 verse 14, you'll notice that the end of that verse ends with, I know that full well. But do we? Do we know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? And I was thinking about that this week, and, and I would suggest that perhaps the problem that some of us might have is not with a, a, an issue of self-worth, but it's an issue with a lack of the fear and reverence of the Lord. It's an issue of not being in awe of God. And can I just say, I'm going to use that word frequently throughout the sermon, and I know my accent can translate in your mind, ah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm referring to. I read an article in the New York Times this week by psychologist Paul Piff, and he argues that our culture is awe or are deprived. He, he says that we, we have a, a sense of, of a lack of the awe of things around us. And I, and I think he's right. He goes on to say that we, we spend more and more time working and commuting and less time enjoying the things that give us goosebumps. I love the way he says that. Magnificent things that create a sense of awe and leave us speechless. I mentioned to you that we've just come back from an incredible four weeks in South Africa. And so my particular context, my particular frame of reference right now is, is either the Indian Ocean or so the, the South African mountains. So forgive me if I, if I reminisce a little throughout my sermon and work some of these uh, experiences into my sermon, but I do think that, that, that the outdoors and, and picnics and, and sunrise walks along the beach and midnight skies seeing the stars away from city lights, but also things in our city that offer this opportunity to inspire awe, things like theater and art and live music, all of that is foregone in order so that we can work late at night and work into weekends. The last week of our vacation, we spent in an area of South Africa called the Drakensberg Mountains, which is a, a range of mountains that cuts across the interior of South Africa. And it's absolutely spectacular. These, I know the, the quality of this might not be that great, but these were some of the views that greeted us when we arrived. Uh, and every single day that we were there, you can go into the next one, I mean, absolutely spectacular uh, uh, scenery. It's a sunrise that we enjoyed. I mean, absolutely amazing. But there was, a, there was a cost to experiencing this. The resort that we were at had no TVs in the rooms. And the resort that we were at had absolutely to the dining rooms. And it was hilarious. We were surrounded by this incredible, awe-inspiring beauty and yet every time before a meal started, the room, that hotspot lounge, was, was jam-packed with people checking smartphones to, in order to keep up to date with emails and in order to stay up to date with social media. I have to be honest, I found myself there occasionally as well. Paul Piff goes on to say, when we deprive ourselves of awe, we become more individualistic, we become more self-focused, more materialistic and less connected to others. But when we actively seek out what gives us goosebumps, when we learn to marvel at something or someone greater than ourselves, we think of ourselves less 
and we become more able and willing to reach out to others. Now, if you are a Jesus follower here today, what Paul Piff has just written, what Paul Piff wrote in that article in the New York Times should sound very familiar to you. It should sound a lot like the greatest command that Jesus gave us in Matthew 22. What Jesus said to us is that we need to love God the Father with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and when we do that, when we marvel at and are in awe of His greatness and His glory, when we fix our eyes on Him, that enables us to love love others as we love ourselves. It enables us to, 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 to fix our eyes on Him and to pour out our love unto one another. The awe of God helps us to worry less about ourselves because we turn our eyes first to Him and then to one another. And what the awe of God does is it establishes our sense of self-worth. The world will continually tell us that we are insignificant in the context of history and creation. But when we fix our eyes on God and we get, in, we get to know Him, we realize that we are incredibly significant to our Creator. So much so that He was willing to send His Son as a, as a feat, sin, and sickness, and Satan, and it's all about death. That's, the, that's, in essence, what the parable of the lost sheep is all about. John chapter 10 describes this good shepherd who is Jesus. Who, who leaves the 99 to go after this one sheep because that sheep was most valuable to him. And I wanna say, friends, that's how we establish a sense of self-worth, when we fix our eyes on God and realize just how valuable we are to him. But I would suggest that like so many here, like so many in our city, like so many in that Wi-Fi lounge, we are surrounded by this inspiring awe and we just can't see it, even though it is right before us. I think that's the mistake that happens when we read Psalm 139 verse 14 as a pick-me-up verse when we're struggling with our self-worth. That's not how David wrote that particular verse. Psalm 139 is not, is not about us. The subject, the, 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 the subject of Psalm 139 is God. It is a psalm about God, not a psalm about us. Let's read verse one together. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. He searches and he knows and he discerns. God is all-knowing. He is behind and he's before. God is eternal. He is beyond human understanding. God is incomprehensible. He carries on in verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. He is near and far. He is high and low. God is ever-present. 
His right hand sustains. God is all sufficient. He endures irrespective of circumstance. God never changes. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He creates life. God is self-existent. He does wondrous works. God is all-powerful. He ordains every day. God is sovereign. How precious to me are your thoughts, verse 17 says. How, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He is immeasurable. God is without limits, and he is always with us. God is forever faithful. All-knowing, eternal, incomprehensible, ever-present, all-sufficient, never-changing, self-existent, all-powerful, sovereign, without limits, and forever faithful. These are just some of the attributes that we've studied in, these, in, in, in the past eight weeks in our series, Testify, which is about revealing the character and nature of God. Psalm 139, friends, is not a psalm about you and me, wonderful. It is a psalm that is intended to inspire all because God inspires all. And David's, uh, 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 his response to, to realizing the awe of God is, look at verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He cries out to God in response to the awe of God, search me, know me, test me, lead me. And this is exactly what our intent was, or what our intent is through this particular series. Just like Psalm 139, we desired that this series creates a sense of awe in you, but a response from you to the awe of God. We've shared our testimonies. I love that contribution that was brought earlier by McKaylee about the testimonies that we've shared. You don't need to sit there and say, well, that's great for you, but what about me? God wants to reveal himself to each and every one of us. And in some respects, I don't want the series to end today, even though today we are bringing it into land. I want us to, to continue in the weeks and months to come as we continue to worship God and see how he is revealing himself to us through his various attributes. I wanna give you some questions and some homework for us to do as a church as we, as we finish this particular series. Some, some questions for you to consider and to think through as we contemplate the reality of who God is. We've learned over the last eight weeks that God is without limits. So consider this, what limits have you placed or wanted to place on God's character or will? We've learned that God is all-knowing. How does this reality of God being all-knowing comfort you personally and expand your amazement of God's grace? We've learned about the fact that God is ever-present. Again, I ask the same question. How has this fact, the fact that God is ever-present, how does it comfort you and you personally and expect? 
how has God specifically revealed his faithfulness to you yesterday so that you can stand with assurance on his promises today? We've learned that God is all sufficient. Why is it important for you to recognize that only God is all sufficient? God is all powerful. What personal experience do you have of powerlessness? And how has this or might this teach you to press into the almighty power of God? And then the last question is, God is sovereign. In what area or in what way do you feel most out of control? And how has this or how might this teach you to press into God's sovereignty? Just some questions for you to consider, some things for you to ponder over and to speak amongst yourselves as we move on from this particular series. But today I want to I want to land our series by looking at one last and one further attribute of God. I mentioned that my exposure or my experience over the last four weeks has pretty much been oceans and mountains. We had the privilege of staying uh, for around about three weeks uh, near the Indian Ocean or at the Indian Ocean in South Africa, on the east coast of South Africa. And I, I, I hate to say this, but the reality was every single or most mornings was sitting on the beach, washing, watching the Indian Ocean waves crash against rocks. And then the last kind of 10 days of our vacation, we were up in the mountains in an area called the Drakensberg. And, and whether I was at the ocean or whether I was in the mountains, I was, I was constantly aware of being in the presence of God, that, that God was, was manifesting His glory through creation. Through, through oceans and through mountains that had been there for thousands or millions of years, depending on your view of how old the earth is. And this is today not an argument for, for that. In, in, in fact, on one of our walks, the guide took us to this place called, um, it was called Cannibal's Cave. And, and, and in this cave, he showed us uh, sand or Bushman paintings that were on thousand Yes, 1940s, and it was, it was in the shadow of this area uh, where the Cannibal Caves was. And, and over the last kind of uh, 70 years, the resort has obviously experienced much improvement. It wasn't exactly as it was when we arrived, when, when they built it in the 1940s. But this was the resort that Debs used to visit when she was a kid. She has childhood memories from the age of two or three all the way up until the last time she went there, which was 27 years ago, and it was the first time that I actually went to this resort. We were dating at the time, and Debs's family had finally realized that we were quite serious, and they had accepted me into the family and invited me to join them for, for Christmas at this resort. Unfortunately, my experience, my first experience of the resort was a little unfortunate because, maybe too much information, but I arrived at the resort struggling with constipation, and then three days in, Debs overdosed me with laxatives. So that was literally my experience of the resort for the first time that I, that I went there. I say all that to say, driving back to this resort, I knew it was gonna be an incredibly poignant moment for Debs. I knew she was going back to something that she had incredible memories of. Things have changed and things hadn't changed. I remember as we were getting close, I, I turned to the kids behind me and I made a joke. I said, how long do you think it'll take before mom starts to cry? And if you know I, my wife, she is an incredibly emotional woman. And uh, as I said that, I turned back to look on the road and I, and I saw out of my left eye, Debs was beginning to tear up. But she wasn't crying because of, of the things that had changed. She was crying because of all that remained the same. It was the memories. 
It was the beautiful Drakensberg Mountains and the, and the mountain tops, the mountain peaks that had certain names, Amphitheater and Suicide Ridge and Camel's Hump and Sugarloaf and, and, and Battleship. They were all kind of basking in the afternoon sun. I mean, she was crying because they, had, they were unchanged just as she remembered. And that's how the Bible speaks of unlike him. She, she writes this about God. God, tallest mountain peak on the horizon, from generation to generation, God stands unchanging, immutable, anchoring the landscape of human existence as all else around him ebbs and flows, blossoms and withers, waxes and wanes. The rock of our salvation endures. The sunshine and shadows of human circumstance may reveal certain contours of his character one day and different ones the next, but his character remains fixed. His plans remain steady. His promises firm. In an ever-changing world, he is the unchanging reference point upon which the inner eye fixes to determine the direction that leads us home. David asks the rhetorical question in Psalm 18. He says, for who is God beside our Lord? And who is the rock except our God? That is just one of over 20 references in the Psalms alone that speak about the unchanging nature of God as he is likened to a rock or a mountain. Malachi prophesies, prophesies in chapter three on behalf of God, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And James chapter one, he writes, every good and perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not, does not change like shifting shadows. If there is one thing you go home with today, if there's one thing you remember today, it's the first point of three that I wanna make. God never changes. God never changes. God never changes, although everything about us and everything around us constantly does. We drove back into the city. We landed uh, on, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember. We, we drove back into the city. That one-hour drive uh, in the middle of traffic after a 16-hour flight was brutal. But we started to notice things around us that had changed in the short time that we had we earlier. We got back to our home, and there was, there was weeds in the back of our yard where there once was gravel. The apartment building that's being built behind us had suddenly grown two stories. I put on a pair of shorts, which fit me a month earlier, and <laughs> thanks to South African hospitality, my waistline had changed. And unfortunately, I found out that my tax bill had also changed, uh, and uh, the city had made some adjustments to our tax bill while we had been away. But what hadn't changed, what never will change, as every single one of us face the reality of change in the weeks and months and years to come, is the reality of God's goodness and God's grace. The certainty of God's majesty and God's mercy, God's power and God's presence, God's word and God's way, and the freedom and the fullness of life that are found in him. What hasn't and will, what will never change are the attributes of God that we learned about over the last eight weeks. The fact that God is all-knowing and eternal and incomprehensible and ever-present and all-sufficient and so on and so on. God's attributes will never increase or will never decrease. Our actions, whether good or bad, will never dilute or will never diminish the glory of God. 
as a people grasping for for comfort and understanding in an ever-changing environment, we make statements like, the only constant is change itself. But I wanna say, that's neither particularly comforting nor is it accurate. God is the only constant and God never changes. So the first thing that you need to know today, the first thing I want you, perhaps the only thing I want you to take home today is the reality that God never changes. But because God never changes, the second point I wanna make is simply this, neither does his word nor his affection. Because God never changes, neither does God's word nor his affection for us. Because the God who was, is the God who is, and is the God who is to come, we claim as sin, will always be sin. What God declares as good will always be good. What God promises to do will come to pass. Whom God proclaims as righteous in Jesus will always be righteous in Jesus. The fact that God never changes means that he will never change his, 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 uh, his commitment, change his mind about pouring out his love upon every single one of us. No future sin that you and I could ever commit will change this verdict of God committing to pouring out his love upon us. Because when God made that verdict, it was made with all sin, past, present, and future, in full vision of God as he made that decision. Friends, the the scandal of grace for those of us who are in Jesus is there is, there, there is nothing we can do that can remove us from the seal of God's certain redemption in our lives. Paul writes about that in Romans chapter eight, and I wanna just read this text to you from the Passion Translation, which I think sums it up so beautifully. Paul writes, who or, or what can, can separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? And then he answers the question, absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love for us. Troubles, pressures, problems are all unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions? What about deprivations? What about dangers or death threats? No, they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. So now he says, and we can say the same thing, I live with confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in heaven. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken God's love for us. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that through the Lord Jesus our anointed one. That's the truth. Because God never changes, neither does his word or his affection for us. And then the third thing I wanna mention is because God never changes, words like always and never only apply to him. Words like always and never only apply to him. I think, if we're honest, the reality of grasping God's infinite sameness, the fact that he never changes, is a little tricky for us. And so what we tend to do is we tend to compensate by placing this idea of unchangeability on things and people around us. We say to to circumstances like health, or, sit, or, or things that change, like our financial security or relationships. We plead with them, never change. And when people confront us, we often respond in defiance. This is the way I am. I will always be this way. 
But I want to say, friends, the, just as the assurance of our salvation rests in the reality that God cannot change, so the hope of my sanctification, the, the hope of me being able to change, rests in the fact that by God's grace, I can change. And the faith for transformation of circumstances around me rests in the fact that by God's authority and power, things don't always have to be this way. The miracle of the grace of God is that he, by his grace, is able to transform a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. That he is able to transform desires that were once bent in of it, onto itself is now suddenly desires that become focused on God and God alone. And he has the power alone to change what we often declare to be unchangeable. Always and never terms apply to God and God alone. Although we love to constantly ascribe always and never terms to one another and to ourselves, don't we? I mean, we often say things like, I will never experience, insert the promise of God that you are still yet to experience. Or we say things like, or the sickness that is slow. Insert attributes of spouse or friend that irritates you the most. Or you say things, or we say things like, this situation will never change and will always be this way. But I want to say, friends, when we, when we start to use language like always and never, we are ascribing to circumstances and situations and people attributes that belong to God and God alone. And that is the reality that only He is the one who never changes. How many of you have been to a wedding? I mean, I'm sure every single one of us have. Been to a wedding where 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, is read out as the, as the standard bearer of love. And yes, it's a great, it's a great goal. But let me tell you, those are hard things to, 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 to aspire to. Let me read Psalm, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 to us. Verse four, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Beautiful. But that's a, that's a challenging kind of standard to have over our lives and over, whether it's marriage or whether it's in, French, whether it's in friendship. And I think if we were brutally honest with ourselves, we would have to acknowledge that our love doesn't, isn't described as 1 Corinthians 13 describes it. Our love in all reality, at times, tends to be impatient. Our love tends to be boastful. Our love, at times, is is full of pride. Occasionally, we dishonor. Sometimes, we are self-seeking, and we are easily angered. And unfortunately, we often keep a logbook of all the wrongs that our friend or spouse has made. And I haven't even got close to the always and never statements that are found in verse 7 and verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13 does as for us. Only God can say with absolute certainty that his love will always protect, will always trust, will always hope, will always persevere, and will never fail. And I want to say, friends, when we ascribe and depend upon a relationship or a circumstance or a possession to never leave us or to never forsake us, or when we believe that a difficult situation will never change and will always remain the same, at that point, we allow idolatry to take root in our hearts. And I saw this 
in, in, in firsthand as we were navigating 18 months ago the reality of Hannah's brain bleed. And Debs, who, who has shared from this pulpit a number of times before the, 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 the fact that she had to come face to face with the reality that idolatry was in her heart because she believed that because she was a Jesus follower, even following Jesus to another country to plant a church, that nothing bad would ever happen to her or those she loved. And she had to realize that the one who is unchanging is the one that she should trust in, not changing situations and circumstances around her. And so let me ask you this. Have you ever ascribed always or never terms to circumstances or to possessions or to others or even to yourself? Because if you have, I want to tell you, they cannot withstand the hope and the expectation that you and I place on them to never change. Every circumstance you and I encounter will change, except the encounter of God's forgiveness and the encounter of God's love found and expressed through Jesus. Every possession you and I will ever own will eventually pass away except the gift of God's salvation and the gift of God's presence. Every relationship you and I enter into will waver at some point and to some degree except the relationship that we have with our heavenly Father through faith in Jesus. When everything around you seems, and if there are things that you struggle with that you believe are beyond change, ask him by his grace to change and break that in you. God never changes, and because God never changes, neither does his word or his affection, and because God never changes, terms like never and always only apply to him. In the last minute, what I wanna do is I wanna add two more questions to the list of questions that I gave you at the very beginning. Two more things for you to ponder on and to think about as we, as we bring this series to a close today. Here are the two questions that I wanna invite you to think about. What relationships or possessions or circumstances do you hold on to for stability instead of our God who never changes? What relationships, what possessions or circumstances do you hold on to for stability instead of our God who never changes? And then secondly, what always or never terms have you wrongly believed to be true of yourself, of someone else, or a particular circumstance? What always or never terms have you wrongly believed to be true of yourself, someone else, or a particular circumstance? I wanna invite you to close your eyes this morning. And I wanna read 1 Corinthians 13, verse four through eight again. But I wanna remind us that we, we, I wanna remind us of how it was written. It was, was written as a description of God's love. And so close, if you feel comfortable to close your eyes and receive this from the Father. God's love is patience. God's love is kind. God's love does not envy. God's love does not boast. God's love is not proud. God's love does not dishonor others. God's love does, is not self-seeking. God's love is not easily angered. God's love keeps no record of wrong. God's love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God's love always protects. God's love hopes, God's love never fails. God's love never fails. If you wouldn't mind just keeping your eyes closed for a moment. 
You know, one thing we, for some reason, tend to be a little afraid of is this idea of repentance. We think is, that repentance is something that we do once and once only when we give our lives to Jesus. We repent of our sin and we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And for some reason, there's this notion that repentance is this awfully religious, awfully legalistic thing that we, we get to do. Let me tell you, friends, repentance is a beautiful gift. Repentance is a stunning gift made available to us by the Father because of His love for us. Repentance is not, is not, is not beating ourselves up and, and, and saying to ourselves, woe is me. Repentance is simply acknowledging that God has more for us. Simply acknowledging that God has a better way for us. And He's made a way of receiving forgiveness and the power to change through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. Repentance is acknowledging that we need to trust God more. Repentance is surrendering ourselves completely and totally to Jesus in areas where we've chosen to hold on to. And I think today God wants us, might want us, might want some of us to repent where we have put our faith in things that change rather than the one who never changes. Friends, where you are seated, just as eyes are closed, I'm not asking you to respond to me in any way. I'm simply asking where you're seated to respond to God. Take 30 seconds, take a minute to just enjoy, receive the beautiful gift of repentance. Say something. If, if you are feeling convicted of, of an area where you've trusted incorrectly, it's a simple case of, God, thank you that you've shown me a better way today. I repent. I'm sorry. I don't want to trust in this. I don't want to trust in that. I don't want to put my hope in this or that. I want to put my hope in you. Help. I'm going to keep quiet for 30 seconds and allow you just to, in an area that you feel you need to just do some business with him for a moment. Father, thank you that we don't have to proclaim over situations and circumstances, this will always be this way. Thank you that we don't have to settle for the fact that it will never change. We know, Lord God, that you are the one who is unchanging. And so I pray, Father God, by your grace that never changes, by your goodness that never changes, your mercy and majesty that are unchanging, your faithfulness, Lord God, the fullness of life that is found in you, I pray, Lord God, that you would move among hearts this morning and that you would give us faith and courage to stand on you and you alone, on your word and your word alone. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you. Help us, Lord, to know that your love will never fail us. Your love will never fail us. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Today, Father, we ask for a deeper understanding, a deeper experience of your love in our hearts today. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe you've been visiting this church for a few weeks, maybe this is your first time, I, I, I don't know your situation, but you know that you are not in relationship with God. Maybe you've been trying to put yourself right or go to church in order to, in some way, win the affection of the Father. God says to us, we don't need to do any of that. We simply need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Receive the gift that is Jesus Christ into our hearts. Declare that He is Lord and Savior. And the Word of God says, the Bible teaches, when we do that, when we declare Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we receive Him into our hearts, when we come to Him with an open hand and receive all that He wants to give us, the Bible teaches we, we are declared children of God. I would love to pray with you this morning. If that's you, if you're saying, Steve, I wanna know Jesus this morning. I wanna, I wanna give my life to Jesus this morning. I wanna receive the fullness, that, that, that you, the fullness of life that you are speaking of. I wanna say, I'm gonna be waiting up here to my left, to your right. If you would love to, if you wanna respond to this invitation this morning, I would love to meet with you and to be able to pray with you today. Father, I thank you for these incredible friends. I thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of gathering together in your name. I thank you, Father, for the series that we have learned about your incredible attributes, your faithfulness, your, your, the fact that you never change, the fact that you are without limits, that you are eternal. Father, may this not just be something that we file away into our hearts or file away into our minds or, or notes that we put away in a, in a journal, but I pray in the days and weeks and months to come, we would consider, contemplate, reflect on all that you are. And I pray, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself to us. As Michaeli encouraged, Lord, we don't wanna hear of testimonies. We wanna experience your faithfulness and have testimonies of our own. May that define, may that be the reality of our weeks and months ahead. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.